And if you want a title for the message this morning, it is, I am not able to bear this heavy burden, or something along those lines. We start reading at verse 1, and uh, I'd like to read the whole chapter, but it's 35 verses, and I think a few might have switched off by then. So we'll read a few verses, and we'll get into it after that. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. When Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tabira, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again, and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the flesh which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried up, dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the coriander, or the color thereof, as the color of bedelium. And the people went about, and they gathered it, and they ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and they baked it in pans, and they made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon the dew. And then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses also was displeased. And Moses prayed to God. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them, that thou shouldst say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the sucking child, unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And then the Lord speaks to Moses, and he says, The Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourself against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. God was giving them just what they wanted. God was going to give them the flesh that they wanted, but far more than they could ever eat. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat it. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of the land of Egypt? Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. This is Moses talking to God again. And he says, Where, where, where am I going to get flesh from that I might feed them? Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? 
the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Now I'll be mentioning uh, the last half to the half of that chapter afterwards, but we won't read it for the sake of time. But praise God uh, for those words that we have read together. And we'll now just commit them to him in prayer. Father, we come together again this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank thee we were able to meet in this way, our God, gathered to that name, that wonderful name, of the one who loved us and gave himself for us at the place called Calvary. But as we gather, our God, we pray that we will not only feel thy presence with us, but we will know it amongst us, and we will know that it has been good for us to be here this morning. We pray for pastor at home and Joe. Pray thy blessing upon them, our God. You know the difficulty, you know the problem, and you're able to remedy and cure all our problems. And you're able to bless us abundantly, our God, above all that we could ever ask or think. We pray that thy spirit will be here this morning with us. We praise thee for every blessing. Our God and Father, help us not to be uh, grumblers and complainers like the children of Israel were in this chapter. They had everything they needed, but not quite everything they wanted. And they complained and asked for more. Help us not to be like that, but help us to be satisfied with the things that we, are, we already have, our God. As the apostle could say, having food and raiment, live with to be content. And we pray, our God and Father, that there's no one in our midst this morning who is without food or without raiment. And we pray thy blessing upon us. And we pray that you will illuminate the pages of thy word to each one of us now this day, for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. What a wonderful, interesting chapter that is. I didn't have a clue. I think Brian asked me to speak a few days ago. I didn't have a clue what I was going to speak about. No idea. And uh, I think I've exhausted my repertoire just about. And, and I was, my, my reading, I started reading again from the beginning of the Bible, reading through, which is a very good way to start, really, isn't it, when you think about it? Start at the beginning. And you struggle through some of these books, don't you? Leviticus, and I do anyway. And come, I, I, I'm dreading coming to Chronicles. I think I'll ask somebody to read it to me. <laughs> but but um, we, we, look at, we look at this chapter, and this chapter is absolutely wonderful, how God dealt with his people, and how he dealt with Moses as well. How he dealt with Moses. Moses was his man, you see. Moses was God's man in God's place. At God's time. And he was there because God wanted him there. But he didn't have to speak to God in a funny way, didn't he? When he prayed to God, he didn't come before God as we do and meek and humble and said, what do you think you're doing, God? Why are you treating me like this? Why, why, why am I being treated like this? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring these two million people or more through the wilderness 600,000, we're told in the last, but that's just the footman. There were more apart from that. Two million people through the wilderness. And you know, Winston Churchill wrote a book on the five books of the Pentateuch, as we call them, the books of Moses. And it was a volume like that, right? And he, he believed that Moses was the greatest leader that this world has ever seen. Now, I'm going to argue with that after, but we'll go along with it for the moment. He was a great leader. This was... This was the greatest, one of the greatest movements of people, probably the greatest movement of people in the history of this world. And they marched for 40 days when the times were right through the wilderness. Incredible, absolute, absolutely incredible that all those people could be fed every day. They were clothed. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. And for 40 years... They went through that wilderness and God brought them safe to the promised land. It's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? And we should have faith in a God like that. A faith in a God who is able to take us from infancy through childhood, through adulthood, to old age in some cases. I'm trying not to look at anybody, but to old age. And he has been with us every step of the way. Even when we didn't know him, he knew us. And he cared about us. And he saved us. 
And I hope that's true in every case this morning, that everybody knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they have come to that place called Calvary and they realized that it's him, that one who died upon that center cross, is the only answer to this world's problems. The world that we live in is in absolute turmoil. It doesn't matter which country you look in. And even the ones that are on the rise financially are still corrupt. And the corruption, you wonder why God lets it continue. And he won't let it continue when the moment is right, when he decides the Lord Jesus Christ will come and take us home to be with himself, every single one of us who believe, and then he will come out in judgment ultimately upon this world. So let's have a more detailed look at this chapter. And we look at it verse by verse. Verse 1 says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and it consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. This is the same God which we have to do, with which we have to do today. A God who is capable of judgment upon people. Right from the beginning of the Bible, right through the end. And one day he will come out in judgment on those who believe not, or those who, on those who have never trusted his Son, as their saviour. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is every one of us. We are saved now by the grace of God. But at one time, we were lost and on our way to hell. That was our condition. And these people dishonoured God and displeased God. And God came out in judgment against them. He had given them everything they needed, as I said in prayer, they had everything they needed, but they didn't have everything they wanted, and they lusted after other things. And we are like that, aren't we, before God. God has given us everything we need. He's given us a wonderful church, and a wonderful fellowship, and a wonderful pastor, and wonderful people to teach us, and music, all that we could ever need, all that we could ever ask for. And yet we always want more, don't we? We want more of this and more of that. So we leave that verse for the moment. The Lord heard their grumblings. How often do we grumble? Let me come back to it a second. How often do we grumble? We've come through, we've come through the lockdown. We've come through the coronavirus. And we've had everything we needed. We've only been stuck in the house. We've had everything we needed. We haven't had any foreign holidays, have we? I don't think anybody's been on an aeroplane yet or gone, gone to Portugal or Spain or anywhere like that. We haven't had anything, anything like that. But we had everything we needed, didn't we? It was it's less than 100 years ago that people didn't fly anywhere, did they? Not generally, anyway. And, uh, and we know that there are people in our, our valleys towns, in our end of valleys towns, like Abertrido and St. Genid and Blankslachai and places like that. And they're in the ends of the valleys... They've never left the valley. And I expect Tophar and Jan, no people like that, that have never left the valley, never been out of the valley. And yet we want to wander here, there, and everywhere. That's called a, a wanderlust, isn't it? Nobody likes holidays more than I do. And uh, probably more than you do. But we shouldn't lust after those things. I would love to go on holidays. I really would. And see some real sun for seven days or maybe more. But... I don't think it's going to happen again this year. But it doesn't matter. God has given us our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Verse 2. The people cried unto Moses. When Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. You see, Moses was God's man in God's place at God's time. And there he was leading these people through the wilderness. What a burden he had. And we read about that a bit further on. But when they whinged and when they moaned, who did they complain to? They complained to Moses. They complained to Moses. Now we've got, I believe, a great fellowship here. But when we've got a problem, where do we go? 
we go to Brian or any of the deacons? No, we all go to the pastor. And the pastor burdened to lay. And we have to be aware of it. People sometimes say to me, he's my pastor, I'll speak to him when I want to. And that's a very selfish attitude. That's me, me, I, I, and I some more. And we should, as Brian's just said, leave him alone for a while. Let him come back to his self. Let him get into the word, and as I'm sure he will, and read it and find God's hand and find God's answer. Can we do that? The people cried to Moses, but when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. You see, the power wasn't in Moses. The power was in God, and God quenched the fire. And he called the name of the place Tabirah. Whether that's pronounced correctly, I don't know. But it means burning, the place of burning, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. So they were aware through the judgment of God, of the power of God, and what God was able to do, as if they weren't aware before. God had brought them out from Egypt. He brought them all the way from Egypt. They should have been aware of his power anyway, but they'd forgotten about it, hadn't they? And they murmured and whispered and complained. Verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and that's a Hebraism, I think. It's lusting with a lust. The word is mentioned twice. They lusted a lust. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now we know from the rest of the chapter that God had given them their daily bread. God has given us our daily bread, by the way. It's found in this book. It's his word. But God had given them their daily bread, and he'd given them sufficient. They weren't going hungry. Every single day, God gave them that manna from heaven. It fell on the ground, on the dew of the ground, and in the morning they got up. Wow, that's great. What more could they want? But they were fed up of this bread. And uh, I don't know whether we know exactly what uh, manna is, um, but it speaks of it as like coriander later on in the chapter. And I remember years ago, I was with my father, I would have been about six or seven years old, just before we moved to Caerphilly. And we called in this uh, lady's house for a cup of tea. And she said, oh, do you want some cake, love? I said, yes, please. Thinking it was Victoria sponge or chocolate cake or even my favorite coffee cake. And it was, it was seedy cake. Now, I think seedy cake is very similar to coriander bread. And it was dry. <laughs> and it was seeds in it. <laughs> yeah? And I, I've never eaten it from that day to this, and I don't intend to either. But, uh, but they had all they needed. That's the point I'm trying to make. They knew, they, they had what God gave them. And we've got what God gives us in his word. But we've got to go and collect it every day. The same as they did. They had to go outside their tent, and they had to pick up the bread and take it in. And they had enough and to spare for the whole day. Now, if we come along God's word and we have a look at it every day, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, whenever you read your Bible, read it. But don't just read it as a book that you would read off a shelf. Read it as a book that is the living word of God. And when you read it, say to God, God, show me what you mean. If, even if you're only reading one verse, or two verses, or if you're reading a chapter, or even a book, ask God to explain it to you. No man can understand this word without God's help. We need God's help in understanding what he has for us. Because it is particularly, the words we read, so very often, are particularly applicable to each one of us. Rather than to generally, to everybody, they are applicable generally as well, but they're applicable to me. What I read is applicable to me. What you read is applicable to you. And we tend to major on devotions, don't we? Oh, devotions. We've got to read our devotions. Nothing wrong with, well, 
There's nothing wrong with some devotions, put it that way. But there's nothing wrong with some devotions. But if we're only reading devotions and occasionally just reading a verse of God's word, get stuck into this book, read it, and let God explain it to you, show you how it works, and show you how he works amongst his people. Can't remember what verse we were on now. Anyway, who shall give us flesh to eat was the last words we read. And they were complaining. They had had enough of this bread. And they wanted flesh to eat. And what were they doing? They were thinking back to their time in Egypt. You know, Egypt is a picture of the world. How often do we, as Christians, think back to our time in Egypt? Where is your Egypt? That's the question. Where is your Egypt? And do you look back in your mind and you think, ah, how that the bet, how that Ecclesiastes says it in chapter 7, I think it is. And he says, uh, you do not inquire wisely how that the former days were better than these. Right? Now let's just, just stop there a second. You do not inquire wisely how that the former days were better than these. Now we look back and we can look back over 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And were things better then? Absolutely they were, in many ways. Some things were worse, but some things were better. The violence and the crime was not like it is today. So why is Ecclesiastes telling me that the former days were not better than these? I don't think he is. I think what he's trying to tell us is that the former days, there's no point in looking back. We can't go back to those days. We are where we are, and that's where we are, isn't it? We <laughs> can't explain it any better than that, really. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are where we are. And uh, we've got to move on from here, not move back. But in God's word, I always quote that chorus, and I'm allowed to because Charlotte's not here. And the chorus says, I know who holds the future. I know he holds my hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. And as I face tomorrow, with his problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. And this chapter shows us the miracles of God, doesn't it? The God who is able to help us and sustain us throughout our lives. And look at how they remember Egypt. This is the, the picture of the world. They had everything in, in Egypt apart from their freedom. God had given them their freedom and they were not happy with it. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, gratuitously. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now, some of us might um, be riding the crest of a wave. We might be in our heyday. But other of us, as others of us, might look back on a life uh, that was financially much better than it is today. Don't look back on that life. If you have been saved and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, don't look back on that life with longing and lust. Just look to the word of God and look to what he has in store for each one of us. Verse 6 says, But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And they'd become obsessed. They had enough to eat and to spare, as I said. Every single one of them, the whole two million of them, none of them went hungry. None of them starved when they went through the wilderness because God provided. God is able to provide today. And whilst we might not have the luxuries of life, God is able to provide the necessities. He's able to supply all our needs. That's all. All means all. And that's all that all means. All our needs, according to his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. And it says there in the manna, verse 7, the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of bedelium. Well, bedelium, I think, is a a, a, a metal or an alloy, and uh, it's silver gray in color. So perhaps that was the color of it. I don't know. Perhaps somebody can tell me. Verse 8. And the people went about, and they gathered it up, and they ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, 
and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. Sustenance for the soul. That's what this book is. Sustenance for the soul. Enough to keep us going if we read it. If we don't read it, it doesn't keep us going. Then Moses, in verse 10, heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. Every man. Two million souls weeping in the door of their tent. And did God feel sorry for them? No, not at all. The anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. God had given them what they needed, but they wanted what they wanted. Moses also was displeased. And if God is displeased, the servant of God will always be displeased. When God's people are murmuring and grumbling, as these people were, then uh, Moses was displeased also. And Moses had enough of the grumbling. He'd had enough of the, of the moaning. And uh, because he took the brunt of it, didn't he? Because you remember in those days, the, on, the only man with God's spirit upon him was Moses. It's different in a church like this, isn't it? The spirit of God indwells every true believer. And that gives us a tremendous advantage over these people in the wilderness because they didn't have the Spirit of God within them. They had the Spirit of God upon Moses. And if they wanted to come to God, they had to come through the priest. And they had to speak to Moses. Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant, Moses says. And listen how, to he, how he speaks to God here. This is, this is a particular prayer. And he's got a burden. And he's going to unload his burden upon God, whatever happens. Is there anybody here this morning with a burden like that? burden which they think that they cannot overcome. A burden which is in their way, like, like a stumbling block, something in front of them that they cannot get past and cannot get through. Jesus knows all about our problems, all about our difficulties, and we need to take it to him in prayer. And then we need to read his word and listen to what he has to say to us about it. But here's Moses. Listen to this. I love the way he speaks. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest this burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? See what he's saying. He's asking a number of questions here in verse 12. Have I conceived all this people? Were all these people born to me? All two million of them? Were they all born to me, Lord? What are you doing to me? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? So he's saying, They're like children. They don't know their right hand from their left. And it's only me, Lord, who can look after them. That wasn't true, really, was it? Because it was God who was looking after them. It wasn't just Moses. Moses was leading them. Moses was leading them to the promised land. And yet, he cries out that prayer to God. And he asks God those questions. Lord, have I got to look after these children? Did I, were they born unto me? No, they weren't. The answer is no, they weren't born unto you, Moses. But you are the man that I have selected to look after them. Let's read on in verse 12. Verse 13. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? See, he didn't have an answer for their problems. God had answered their need according to the, according to the, um, uh, the manner that had been poured out from heaven for them every day. But they were looking for flesh. They wanted something more substantial to eat. Didn't need it, but that's what they wanted. And as they looked for it, there, Moses didn't have the answer. Where was he going to find flesh to feed two million people? Have I conceived this people? Have I carried them in my bosom? bosom? Am, I, am I supposed to baby them into the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence, Lord, should I have flesh to give unto this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. And they weren't going to take no for an answer. 
they were giving Moses a hard time. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. What a sad verse that is, isn't it? I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Now, we haven't got two million people in Bethany. Nothing like it. Maybe 80 to 100 people. Uh, certainly, maybe when the lockdown is finished and everything. But it is a burden. A massive burden. And we've got pastors throughout this country dropping like flies because they can't handle the burden that God has given them. For other reasons as well, unfortunately. But they're dropping like flies. They cannot they cannot keep going. We've got a pastor who's 47, right? 48? 47, pastor? Don't, oh, that's will ask his mother. I'll ask his mother later. In that region. And if we continue the way we're going and the church continues growing, he is going to be burned out by the time he's 50 years old. And what will we say then? Ah, oh, the king is dead. Long live the king and move on and find another pastor. That's not the answer, is it? It's not the answer. We all think we're entitled to his time. And I want to I want to talk about mathematics. Don't go to sleep. All right. And it's all very basic mathematics. And uh, Andrew can check the figures at the back there. But we always say, don't we? And we're joking. I hope we're joking when we say it. Ah, the pastor, he only works on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Hour in the morning on a Sunday. Hour in the evening on a Sunday. And then an hour on Wednesday night. Wow, what a job. I'd love a job like that if I could get it. I wouldn't have this job for all the tea in China. I wouldn't. Honestly, it's a difficult, difficult job. And we don't realize it. And uh, even, we need to speak to him, don't we? We need to speak to him on occasions. But some people take so much of his time that he has none left. When I look around me, I don't want to beat anybody up over this, but I want us to just think of how we spend our time with the pastor and spend it wisely and spend it profitably. Ah, he's a pastor. He's got to look after the needs of the church. Ah, he's got to look after all the counselling. I don't know how many people he's counselling at this moment in time, but it's probably quite a few. And I want to ask you this question. Who counsels the counsellor? In the world, among psychologists and psychiatrists, they do so many hours counselling other people. And after they've done so many hours, they've got to go and see a counsellor themselves. And that's because they have a burden. They're burdened with everybody else's problems. He's got problems of his own, I don't doubt, and issues of his own that need resolving. But he's so involved in our problems and our difficulties that, let's go back to the maths. So, three hours on a, in a week. That's not a bad week, is it? How long does it take to prepare a sermon? And most pastors will say, uh, to speak three times a week is between 20 and 30 hours. Now, don't forget, he's got to deliver those sermons as well. It's another three hours, isn't it, to deliver those three sermons? And that's if he only speaks three times. He sometimes speaks much more than that. So you've got, let's say the 30 hours. We'll go for the 30 hours. Plus the three. How many is that? 33? Check with Andrew, make sure it's right. Yeah, 33. We've got 33 hours. Okay? And then you see people, and they come to the back door. They shake hands with the pastor. Pastor, I need to talk to you. I must talk to you. And he says, well, okay, come over in the corner by you and we'll have a word. Or come into the office and we'll have a word. And they say, oh, no, no, it'll take much longer than that. It'll take maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Okay? Now, if every one of us, as members of this church, and as myself, uh, associate members, come to the pastor and spend one and a half hours with him, how many hours is that? Let's just say there's 80 members in the church. Round figures to make my maths easy. It's a long time since I went to school. But you've got 80 hours. That's 120 hours a week. On top of his 33 hours preaching, that's 153 hours a week. 
How many hours in a week? 168. That leaves him 13 hours. Are we right so far, Andrew? <laughs> Thank you. 13 hours. He's got 13 hours left to himself. Most of us sleep for around 40 hours. Where's his sleeping time? I just want to leave that with you. I, I say, I, 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 I don't want to beat up on anybody. I think, I think this is a lovely congregation and a lovely fellowship. But we need to be aware of the time constraints that are on, the past, uh, that are on our pastor. And I, I personally, for the last few months, I tried to just wave to him and say, how are you doing? And move on. Because I know there are people with legitimate difficulties and legitimate difficulties, uh, diff- problems, that need to speak to him and need to spend time with him. But um, I want to tell you about a pastor I spoke to last week. And church probably between a third and a half the size of this. Different attitude to Darren's altogether. Darren's got a lovely attitude and he's got time for everybody. But he's got a different attitude, this pastor. And he says, no, I, I, I don't put up with that. He says, somebody comes to me. Let me tell you a little story first before I go back to the pastor. I had, uh, uh, I worked down in West Wales for, I don't know, five, six, seven years altogether. I lived in Carmarthen for a long time. And uh, I had a colleague working on the Bridge End area. And I covered all the west coast of Carmarthen, of, uh, right up as far as Aberystwyth and Machynlleth. Beautiful part of the country. And it wasn't like going to work. It was like going on holidays every day. And I enjoyed it. Anyway, I had a colleague in Bridgend, Bridgend, Cardiff area, and um, been with the company for 27 years. And everybody called him IGAP. I don't know whether anybody knows what an IGAP I'd never heard of it before. i never heard of it since. Anybody know what an IGAP is? Put your hand up if you know what an IGAP is. It stands for I Got a Problem. Right? And we know a lot of people like that, don't we? Even if we don't know the acronym. But everybody who knew him, colleagues, bosses, people in the office, the first thing he'd say on the phone is, I got a problem. He wouldn't even say your name. He wouldn't even say hello. Oh, I got a problem. And the weight of the world was on his shoulders. I got a problem. We shouldn't be like that, should we? And why shouldn't we be like that as Christians? Because we are priests unto God. We've got direct access to the throne of God. We've got direct access to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is there, ever living, to make intercession for us. So come back to the story of the pastor I spoke to last week. And he's got a congregation, maybe about 30 or 40 people. And uh, I said, uh, I said how, many, how many emails and texts do you take? Oh, not many, he said, not many. And uh, I said, how do you manage uh, when people need to talk to you and everything? And he said, I say this. He said, if somebody comes to me with a problem, he said, okay, I'll talk to you about your problem. He said, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading the word of God every day? Are you praying? Are you in with the company of God's people when you can be? And he said, if the answer to any of those is no, say, well, go away and read your Bible then. And go away and, uh, and pray. And make sure your prayer life is right. Make sure your reading life is right. And, when, and make sure you're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And he said, and then I'll speak to them. But before then, they've got to get right with God. There's no point in talking to me about a problem that is created by lack of Bible reading, lack of praying, and lack of associating with God's people. And I thought that was, was good. Darren will never be like that. He can't be like that. He's a different character altogether. But... I I hope you understand what I'm saying. I hope you understand that what I'm saying is in love for this church, in love for Darren, in love for the congregation, but most of all, in love for God. Where were we? 
Verse 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if they'll deal thus with me, look at the condition this man gets in because of the burden that he has. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray, out of hand, if I have found favour in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. So he was feeling wretched, and he was feeling that he had a burden that he could not bear. But we've got, a, we've got someone at the right hand of God, haven't we? Never a burden. He cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. And our answer to all our problems and all our church problems is not, find, is not found amongst our, in ourselves, is it? It's not found within us. It is found in God. I think it was um, in Julius Caesar in Shakespeare and someone there said, the answer lies not in ourselves, but in the stars. Can I tell you this morning, our answers to every problem do not lie in ourselves within us, and they do not lie in the stars, but they lie in the one who died at the cross of Calvary that we might be saved. Verse 16 and this is the Lord speaking to Moses in answer. The Lord said unto Moses, because the Lord had a, as a solution to the problem, didn't he? The Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. So, when we read on in this chapter, we found, we find, that God also gave to those 70 men the Spirit of God. So he eased the burden. And God didn't even just do that. He gave him a bonus. He gave him two more men. And the Spirit of God was up on them as well. And they moved around the camp. He made his burden easier to bear. And this is a church we've just appointed deacons. I think we've got 10 altogether now. So the burden becomes easier to bear. But I want to say this to every, every member of the, of the congregation. There are so many, you know, I've been, to, I've been to Darren a few years ago. Oh, can you sign a passport photograph for me? Can you, um, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And he does it willingly. But we shouldn't be doing things like that, you know. He is here for the spiritual well-being of the flock of God. That's his job. Jesus is the shepherd. And Darren is the under-shepherd of the sheep. And he is interested in everybody's welfare. But he cannot spend one hour or two hours or more hours with each one of us. He can't. It's impossible. And if we demand it. You see, we, we live in an entitled world. I was going to say so much more about that. We didn't touch the second half of the chapter. But it doesn't matter. God gave them over. In a, in a way, to a reprobate mind, which is what God always does. If people have a reprobate mind, God will give them over to it. Ultimately, if they rebel and rebel and rebel, and he gave them so many quails. The quails blew in from the sea, and they were that tall. If that's about two cubits, about that tall off the pulpit, right throughout the camp. And he said, now you eat the quail. And they ate it for a month. And they were sick through their nose. We know what that's like, don't we? Well, it's pretty the kids, know they? they'd love that, wouldn't they? Yeah, sick through our noses. And that's what God will do to us. That's what God can do to us. He can make us sick like that if he wanted to. And some of them died. But they learned a lesson that day. We pray for Darren. Complete, com continue to pray for him. And, uh, and, and, and take some responsibility for our, our own learning and for the word of God and for our reading of the word of God. There'll always be parts we can't understand. But there are other people now that we can speak to. You speak to Brian, speak to Andrew, speak to, speak to whoever, speak to the Sunday school teachers. Some of the Sunday school teachers here have got an immense knowledge of the Old Testament. I haven't. I've got to be honest. I, I wish I did. I know, I know all the main stories, but I get them mixed up in my head. It's my age, I think. But please, please, don't take the things I've said the wrong way, but treat it in love 
Treat this church in love. Treat every one of us and each one of us in love because that's where God would have us to be. There's so much more I wanted to say, but our time is gone. Uh, we'll just have a word of prayer and then we'll sing our last hymn. Father, we praise thee again for the words we have read together. We don't seem to have covered too much ground, but we pray that you will speak from the words that have been spoken. That thy name may be glorified, our God and Father, and that souls might realize their need of a Savior, that without the Lord Jesus Christ, this life is not worth living. And without the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hope for all eternity. We praise thee that we have a hope, our God and Father. We praise thee that we have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us and for all them that believe. We pray that you will re-preach the words of this chapter. May we all read it, our God and Father, and from it we might glean something that you would have us to know. So we commit ourselves again into thy hand and into thy presence. We thank thee for everything that you do for us. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And perhaps we could have our singers come up.
Amen. Amen. Before we close, um, there's something here in the back of my Bible for you, or in the front of my Bible. Charlotte's not here, and I'd like to give you the words of a few choruses. And I hope they will encourage each one of us today. The children of Israel were looking forward to the promised land, but it was a long way down the line from that chapter uh, that we read together. The Lord is coming. He's coming soon. Joyful, joyful will our meeting be when from sin our hearts are pure and free and we shall gather, savour with thee in our eternal home. He and I, in that bright glory, one great joy shall share, mine to be forever with him, his, that I am there. Can you say that of a truth this morning? And finally, we live in a troubled world and a time of trouble and a time of pain. And uh, I had a phone call just an hour ago to say a great friend of mine had died in Confidi. Um, <clears throat> this words of this hymn says, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more parting. From sin evermore to be free, through joy, peace and love, with Jesus above. That is what heaven will be. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this blessed opportunity we've had. Of hearing your word, Heavenly Father, of hearing it expounded, May the messages that we hear week after week be meaningful for each and every one of us. May we take them into our hearts and our minds, Heavenly Father, so that they do impact upon our lives, so that we do take your presence with us when we leave this building. Be with us now, we pray, and as we depart, we ask you to keep us safe until the next appointed time. For we ask these things in through the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.